Today I'm wrapping up my series called Setting Sail. I'm going to do a couple of standalone sermons in, uh, in the month of November before we start into Advent, where I'm going to be looking at uh, the angels of the Christmas story and uh, talking about angels, talking about how God speaks to us in our lives and how we listen and respond. Um, this Setting Sail series has been something I, I think has been important. Um, it really started as a... Um, my attempt to say some things to Northminster that I feel like God has been, been urging me to say. Um, we, we started mapping out a vision. I think maybe we could be a church for people who have left church. We could be a comeback church, welcoming people who have walked away from church or faith back into Jesus' arms again. Uh, I, I talked about how we need to pay special attention to listening to the Holy Spirit like winds on the seas. And then a big part of being a Christian means discerning, hoisting your sails, that you got to open up your sails and listen to and follow where God is sending you. That we work as a crew, and we talked about how everybody has to play their part. That includes finding partners out in the community to do missions together with. We're going to be talking a little bit more about that today. We talked about getting your sea legs. The part of what God does when you go on a journey through life with God is He's not going to waste the journey, so he's going to teach you. He's going to shape you, and you're going to have to grow from the journey. That's part of what God does. Last week, I talked about worship, like the rudder of the boat, that really everything turns on worship. But I said worship wasn't what you think it is. Worship isn't singing, and it isn't going to church. It isn't what we do. Worship is about serving and sacrificing for God and coming into God's presence which means it's really great to do here, but it's also something you can do anywhere. And in fact, sometimes when we come here, you can actually go through the motions and not really worship. And so we tried to really set that up, how important true heart worship is. And we conclude this series today by talking about our destination. What is the voyage going towards, especially as a church? Where, where are we going? What's our heading? What's our direction? A lot of churches try to do that with a mission statement. What is our mission statement? And we, we get this thing, this church has a mission statement. Do you know what it is? Most people don't know what the mission statement is, and that makes it really hard for it to be a mission statement, right? Well, actually, I think God gave us a mission statement. It's in Matthew 28. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So church is really about two things, everybody. Going and making. Going and making. It's about sentness. We go, and it's about a product. We make something. We go, and we make disciples. And go and, go and make, then, are, are supported by two things. Baptism and teaching. Okay? Baptism implies new believers. Okay? Baptism implies... You go and you find people that don't know Jesus and you teach them. 
and they become baptized, but you continue to make them into disciples. And you know what the ultimate representation of a disciple is? A disciple is really a person that makes more disciples. It's not just about you being a disciple. What it really means to be a disciple is to actually be able to disciple others. This is the purpose. This is the purpose of what we do here. The purpose isn't for us right here. The purpose is for the world. For God so loved the church that he gave his only son? No. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The church is an organization. The church is a group of people that are actually here for the purpose of the people that are not here. It's actually not for us. We exist for something beyond us. doesn't mean we forget each other, right? It means we care for each other. We love each other. Part of being a disciple is that you've got to continue to be learning and growing. So sure, church is about us. But church is actually really focused on going, on the people that are not here. There was this movement that came along that really encouraged this kind of thinking in the church. It was called the Missional Church Movement. Have any of you ever heard of this before, Missional Church? Very big in our presbytery. Um, it, it came in, especially in the eight, late 90s, early 2000s. Um, it was an idea that came out of a number of conversations from theologians and missionaries in the 70s and 80s. And they started just noticing things about the church, noticing some things that were really important about the church. That the world is changing. And that Christianity that used to be at the center of a lot of what happened in our culture was no longer the center of our culture. It had moved to the fringe. That people were more easily walking away from church because there was no real pressure to be in church. And that as much as the world was changing, the church had remained largely the same. In fact, it had become rather insular, rather focused on itself, and sometimes cold to others. There were many cases where churches had circled the wagons, right? What's the problem with circling the wagons? You're not going anywhere. <laughs> as soon as the wagons are circled, you are on the defensive, you are not on the offensive. You're not going anywhere, you're staying right here. That mission work that used to be focused in other countries now could happen down the street in your very own neighborhood. And in fact, increasingly needed to be done there. And what work church was doing at the time tended to be very attractional. So you would make a church that was as nice as could be and people were putting in coffee bars and they were doing all kinds of stuff to try to make their church look really hot to try to get people there. But they started coming back to the Bible to say, well, actually... Church is meant to be sent. Christians are meant to go. So what the missional church movement started to do was encourage churches to take a look in the mirror, to come back to our purpose, to go and serve. Church leaders would gather to talk about where they were. They would brainstorm ideas. And then the whole thing was to try to do experiments to get into the community and to care, to reach out and to do good in your community. Again, how many of you are part of any of these conversations? Missional church? A couple people? Okay. I thought it would actually be more, because right around here, a lot of churches did it, and a lot of churches were involved in it. But, but it came up against some challenges. 
There was some good stuff. It led to more church planting. It led to some churches really going out in the community. It helped me as a young pastor to think about some of this kind of missional thinking and how the church wasn't just about who was already in the pews. But for the most part, what I have found is that that movement has not had that much impact on the church or in most churches. Okay, Most churches that have done missional church programs, they sat around, they talked about it a lot. And by now, it's really not on their radar anymore. Some of the challenge was um, that, that it just wasn't focused on spirituality. That actually, it takes a lot of deep spiritual growth to go out into your community. Is that intimidating for anybody else? It's intimidating, so you've got to grow. And so missional leaders tried to address that, but it was a lot of times difficult. A lot of churches didn't have the spiritual maturity to actually go out like that. Number two, I actually don't think that attractional ministry is really that bad. Like, if your church is terrible, nobody's going to want to come to it, right? you got to make it a little bit comfortable. you got to make it a little bit welcoming. you got to think through some of those things. There's nothing wrong with being an attractive, attractional church as long as you understand that that's insufficient, right? Some of the challenges were also that much of the missional church work was very self-seeking. In other words, here's what churches did. They went out and they loved their neighbor. They loved their community. But really, they were just loving themselves. Okay? They went out to do good stuff in the community. But what they always hoped was that people would fill the pews and that people would fill the offering plates. And if you love somebody because of what you can get from them, that's called manipulation. Okay? That's never a healthy relationship. If you love your spouse because of what you get from them, that, that, that just, it's not going to work out for very long. Okay, so many of the churches would love, but they were really just loving themselves. They weren't really loving their neighbor because loving your neighbor means loving without re- expectation of return. And by the way, the community can smell your ulterior motives. Okay, if you're serving the community really because of what you want to look good or because you want to get people to your church, community always knows that. People always sniff that out. But the biggest problem, I think, with the missional church movement is that churches didn't know where to start. Okay, how do you go out of this place and serve in our community? How do we do that as people? How do we do that as a church? Well, it's very hard to know where to start. And so people would sit around talking about it, but they didn't ever know really what to do. It was like hard to, like, how many of you, it's really not that surprising to hear that the church is supposed to be out. Is that new to you? It shouldn't be. Okay? That when Jesus said love your neighbor, he didn't mean the neighbor in the pew. That he meant the neighbor in your neighborhood, the person that you work with. Like, I don't think this is real shocking news to any of us. I hope it's not. But it's also really hard to do. It's also really hard to figure out where to start. So today, I, I want to I wrestle with this. I, I think it's still a big part of what the church needs to be. Part of our heading. Part of our destination is we've got to be a church that's serving, that's going, that's out. And it's really hard to start. But I want to give a couple of hints on how to start. Because that is always where this, this kind of jammed. Number one, listen to God's leading. Okay, I've, I've been emphasizing this for the last couple of years at this church. When we listen to God's leading, if God's leading is mission, we will be led into mission. Right? 
You learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit wants you out, then the Holy Spirit will lead you out. And so part of what we need to do is just learn to listen. I think the missional church tried to do that, but for the most part, a lot of people just stood around trying to come up with good ideas instead of learning how to listen to the Holy Spirit. But if our genuine prayer is God aim us, I think God will honor that prayer. So, so, so how much are you praying for our church right now? And how much are you praying for, our, for the strength of our church, for the mission of our church, for the purpose, for the other people in our church? Have you given yourself a few times a week to really praying for this church, praying for direction, expecting God to maybe have a purpose and a plan for us? Start praying. Number two, I think the church can very simply, although it's not easy, but simply start making decisions with the people not here in mind. Like just start saying, what would a new person say about that? How does people in the community know about that? You have to fight the urge to actively make decisions for, for who's here and start trying to make decisions for people who are not here. Here's a great example. I was doing some consulting with my dad. Uh, he had a church consulting company, and, and we, I was helping him with a group. And we went to this one church, and it was just terribly inaccessible. Right? You had to go up like eight stairs to get in the building, another two stairs to get into the sanctuary. And it was a major problem for this aging congregation, where clearly they were struggling to get in. Right? And they were going to be, it was going to be worse in future years. And so we said to them, well, you know, your church is just not real accessible. And they said to me, I kid you not. They said, it's okay. We don't have anybody in a wheelchair that's coming to our church right now. And I said, yeah, they can't get in. Like, what? of course, of course you have no one coming to your church as a wheelchair. They got to get up eight steps to get into the building. What kind of thinking is that? To say, well, we don't need it because no one here is, needs it right now. Yeah, and no one who needs it will ever come because they can't get in the building. This was like very shocking for these people. Like, oh, what? Of course you don't have people in a wheelchair. They can't get in. You got to start thinking about the people who are not here. Right? So I, I told you, you know, we're, we've worked on online giving. We got a new website coming up. Uh, we're going to be, uh, we should be launching here very shortly. We've been working on it for several months. We've got online giving coming up. And uh, at the first, the hesitation around here was like, well, but our people give checks. They don't want online giving. Well, that's fine. Like, we can still do that. But some people, I, I'm telling you, new, the, some of our newer members at this church, almost all of them ask me about online giving. Right? So you, you, gotta, you have to sort of actively say, let's stop thinking just about who we are and let's start thinking about the people who are not here. So it, are, do, do people who are not here understand what OCC means? No. Okay. We got to tell them what the initials that we use, the insider language that we use. What happens if we just simply do this? One month next year, all meetings are going to not be here. Right? What if our session meeting is going to go to Applebee's? I would love that, by the way. Okay? What? Right? Right? What if our committees start meeting at Duncan? Like, just, just not here. 
What if we just started looking around for needs, not in our property, but on properties around the community? Sort of think those things through. You've got you to sort of actively get yourself trained to think about the people that are not here. And we've been working on this. Okay, another thing. Don't wait for the church to start ministry. Don't wait for the church to start ministry. Start it. Okay, why does all ministry have to start with a session or a committee? They're busy. Okay. Start ministries yourself. And, and to talk about that, I've actually got a friend, uh, Bill Webster and his wife Linda have been coming to our church. They retired to this community. And, uh, but Bill has, Bill, Bill's preached for me. You preached once, yeah. right? And you're preaching in a couple of weeks. Um, but Bill was uh, the pastor for years at Grace Presbyterian Church in Martins Ferry. And this is how he ran his church, was getting people to start stuff. And I called him this week. I said, hey, I can talk about this. Why don't you talk about this? So come on up, Bill. He's got a great book called A Place of Grace where he shares some of these stories. So I asked him just to share a little bit how he started that and a couple stories of how it worked. All right, you got it on? Yeah. All right, thanks, sir. Uh, initially, he said 45 minutes. We'll keep it short because the ceilings come on in a few minutes. <laughs> Yeah, so we, we ran somewhere between 20 and 30 ministries ongoing all the time. Uh, depending on the season, depending on the week, we would have somewhere between 20 and 30 ministries ongoing going on. Some were local, some were global. Some were very local, um, building um, bonnets for babies for, in our local hospital for the newborns who were being born and needed a hat to keep them warm after giving, giving birth. And then we had... Um, a church plant in western Pakistan that today has nearly a thousand members with three pastors on staff um, that started with 25 people. Um, our ministries all began with one person. And everybody in the congregation every week was challenged. Find a hurt, find a need, get one person to agree, yeah, this is an issue, and then go and do it. Find a solution, go, take care of it figure it out, and then come back and let me know. We'll get more folks involved. One person who heard me, not everybody heard, but one person who heard me, um, Wendy, saw some people who were cold, waiting for a bus. So she had an extra pair of mittens in her car and gave it to them as they waited. And she thought, oh, maybe there's others. So she got somebody else in the church to get another pair of mittens and a hat and they attached them to the tree outside the sanctuary with a little note, handwritten note. Do you need a hat? And people came by and picked them up. That grew to a ministry where a clothesline was strung outside the sanctuary on one side of the street and on the other side of the street filled with hats, scarves, and mittens, providing people who don't have that in our county something warm to wear in the winter. Every first day of winter, a clothesline went up, and it was filled every day by a deacon or a staff person every day, kept filled until the last day of winter when it was taken down. The ministry grew, and it grew, and as it grew, uh, a rack was put up filled with winter coats to provide coats for people who were cold. From that, another person got the idea, well, there's kids in the school. We need to provide coats for the kids in the school. Then she got somebody else involved and another ministry began as we provided coats for the kids in the school. From that, 
the ministry grew with somebody else getting the idea. Why don't we get other clothes and give them out to people? A man who owned a building in town gave us the building to use, and three blocks away, we started a ministry called Grace Churches Rethread Store. It was called Rethread's Clothing Store, and we gave out clothes to anybody in need twice a week. From one woman who had the idea, we need to give out a mitten to people who are cold, grew multiple ministries from that, all involving other people in the congregation who came up with other ideas. In the end, when, when we retired, it was on a typical day, we had 80% of the congregation involved in one ministry or another outside of the walls, going into the community, doing things. Jesus is calling Peter, and as he calls Peter out on the water, invite him to come out. Outside, join me out here on the water. And as Peter is listening, I invited the people in the congregation. What would the other 11 be doing? I could hear them saying, Peter, what are you, what are you nuts? Standing up? Sit down, Peter, you're rocking the boat. And Peter stands up. He's got his hands on the rail of the boat. And the disciples, the other 11, saying, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know how to do this. What, are you crazy? You can't do it. Nobody can do it. It's never been done before. And Peter's got people behind him saying, you can't do it. And he's got Jesus out there saying, come on, Pete, what are you waiting on? And can you picture Peter with his hands on the rail, one foot over, then the next foot, and he stands there on the water doing something he's never done before. And he's successful. And yet all the other guys saying, Peter, what if you fail? And we know the story. Peter starts to sing. But Jesus lifts him up. He got out of the boat, out of his comfort zone, and did something very creative. Walked on the water. Rita heard me talk about that. And she said, well, young, you're always making me get out of the boat. You got to know Rita. And I put my arm around her and said, baby, it's time to get out of the boat. Rita had a passion for the elderly. We have a high-rise apartment building in our community. And she wanted them to be able to come to church, but she couldn't figure out a way to get them to church. There wasn't a way to bring them in. There were a lot of different obstacles. Transportation was the key. So she talked to somebody else, and these two women threw up the idea, let's go to them. So Rita and one other woman came up with the idea of going to go to the apartment building. They called it Grace 2, number 2, go. And Rita and a bunch of other women got together and they started planning this worship service. And twice a month, her team, including um, multiple elders who would preach, lead worship, prayers, and a couple of women, like my wife and a couple others, who would play the piano, and they would hold worship service in the community room. While they're doing that, there's another group in the little galley kitchen inside the community room that were preparing lunch for all the people who came to worship. In the end, 
50 to 75 people attended a worship service and had lunch. That was done every two weeks. And then once a month, I would go and do communion. From that, a Bible study began. And that was done every Wednesday at 2 o'clock in the community room. The people who lived there saw grace to go now as their church. And as their church, when somebody died, the obituary would say something like, a member of Grace Church's Grace to Go. Or it would just say, a member of Grace to Go Church. And it all began with one woman who had a passion for the elderly and wanted to be able to get them into church. We've got hundreds of stories. And it all begins though with one person seeing an issue, seeing a problem, and looking around, and then going and doing it. Some of y'all remember Phil Collins? He had a song, Another Day in Paradise. We played that in worship at the beginning of the sermon. So it's cool hearing the Beach Boys say. <laughs> and he talks, if you don't know the song, he talks about a woman who was hurting, who's crying, who's in pain, and a man who kind of just whistles by and ignores it. So he asked, do you see yourself in this song? Have you ever been hurt or crying? Have you ever been hungry or cold? And what have you done? What has happened to you? Or have you kind of seen somebody hurt or crying and just kind of whistle along and forget? Jesus calls us to get involved. See the hurt. Be observant. See the hurt. See the pain. And get one other person to agree. This is an issue. And then go and work and solve it. Go and work and solve it. Hey, on Reformation Sunday, this is the day to begin and start. Turn it over to Jordan. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. That, I think, is the future. How do you get some of that stuff started? You see a need. And I, I want to say this. I don't see all the needs. I don't know your neighbors. I can't know everybody in here is friends from work. Okay? I can't, I can't know that. Session can't talk about all that. What can you see? How can you respond? A couple other quick thoughts. Another way to get involved with this, I think, is to partner with ministries that are already going on. We don't have to create some things because we already support some things. Let's just get more involved in those. I think we've got to then be able to experiment. We've got to try some stuff. And I, I think for that to work, everybody in here has got to start seeing yourself as a missionary. I commission you right now. Okay, your baptism kind of does this anyway, so I feel fine doing this. I commission you now as a missionary. You're a missionary. This week, you're going to see people at work. You're going to see neighbors. You're going to see friends. Can you open your eyes to the needs around you and say, how can I fill that? Can you see the hurt around you and say, how can I soothe that? Don't wait for Session or Jordan Rimmer to give you permission to do that. Come back and tell us when you need money. <laughs> Come back and tell us when you need like 20 more people. Then, right, start from there. Start out there and then bring it back. That, I think, is the future. It is my prayer that God will get the glory and the world will be a better place because of the mission and the people of Northminster Church. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.